Welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast, a show brought to you by PureFlix.com. PureFlix.com, the faith, family, and fun video streaming service. Get ready for uplifting news, scripture, movie reviews, and interviews with some of your favorite actors, authors, and pastors. Let's get started. Hey, what's going on? It's Billy Hollowell, and welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast. We have a full show for you today. Lots of great stuff going on in entertainment, and also a really great book out from Growing Pain star Jeremy Miller. If you're not familiar with him, he played Ben Seaver. Those of you who watch the show, I'm sure you remember Jeremy. Really great actor, really fun show, Growing Pains. Uh, but he's got a book out that's totally kind of unrelated to that experience, and he and his friend, Brandon Lane Phillips, they co-wrote this book. It's called When I Wished Upon a Star. Really great story. We're going to get into that in a minute, but I wanted to start the show just by letting you guys know that we have got some great Bible verse pieces that you can share over on our blog. It's insider.pureflix.com. One of the pieces up right now, it is titled... 10 Powerful and Life-Changing Bible Verses for Graduates. So, like, this is the time of year that young people are leaving high school, graduating, leaving college, going into the workforce, maybe. It's a real pivotal time for a lot of young graduating high school and college students. So, we wanted to share some Bible verses, and I just wanted to run through a couple of them. This is a great piece. You just go over to insider.pureflix.com to throw in an email, send to maybe parents of kids who are heading off to college or into the real world, maybe send it to actual graduates just to encourage them. So a couple of the verses, we've got Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Man, that's a message people need, right? Young people going out into a very uncertain world. Another one that I love and I've shared on the show before, it's Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And this is another important one, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So this notion of just always working for God, that's a powerful message, whether people are heading into the classroom in college or heading into the real world. So with that being said, head over and share that story with all your friends, family, graduates you might know. But I want to get into this interview with Brandon. Again, it's Brandon Lane Phillips. He's a pediatric cardiologist and also Jeremy Miller, who played Ben Seaver on Growing Pains. So their book, When I Wished Upon the Star, is about their really interesting friendship. I don't want to spoil it, but Brandon and Jeremy met on the set of Growing Pains when Brandon was very ill as a child with heart conditions, right? So so Brandon has these heart conditions. He gets a wish to go on set. He meets Jeremy. And over the years, they come back together later on and build a friendship. Brandon goes on to become a cardiologist despite of his issues. Jeremy overcomes addiction. Uh, and so there's so much in this story. It's incredible. I had a chance to talk with both of them and really get a sense of what they're hoping you'll take away from when I wished upon a star. Welcome to the show, Brandon and Jeremy. Hey Brandon and Jeremy, how's it going? Doing great. Thanks for being. Thanks for having us in. Thanks for coming on. So, so you guys co-authored this new book, "When I Wished Upon a Star," and I think the story behind the book 
and your real life story and friendship is pretty incredible. Um, so Brandon, I'm going to throw it to you first to tell us a little bit about how you guys met. I was born with a congenital heart defect, and when I was 11 years old, I was granted a wish by the Starlight Children's Foundation, and my wish was to meet Jeremy from Growing Pains. And so you went, so they brought you out, and you guys met on set. What was that experience like for you? Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. I grew up in rural Louisiana, so getting to go to Los Angeles and go visit the set of my favorite TV show was quite a, quite a treat. Um, so I remember getting, you know, picked up from the Beverly Hilton and the limousine and taken to the set to meet Jeremy. And as soon as I got um, to the studio lot where they were filming, Jeremy met the limousine and basically took me on a bicycle tour of the studio lot, which was just fantastic. Now, Jeremy, I want to get into your story, too, and, and your backstory. What Do you remember much of that of that day and that experience? I actually remember that day very clearly. Um Brandon happened to be the only wish kid who came to the set uh, specifically to meet me. Um, we had many people who came to meet Kirk and a few people who came just to kind of be a part of the show and be around it and see a taping. But Brandon actually came to meet me and that was very special. So I kind of set out to make sure that, you know, this kid just had the best day that he could. And yeah, it meant it meant a lot to me. I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, if, if anybody's coming to meet you, you know, um, and you're and you're on a hit show and it's like a lot of things are fulfilling and fun and exciting. But somebody actually choosing for their wish to come and meet you is a, is a pretty cool thing. So so you guys, you hung out, you went around set. Now, after that was over and I know there's a point when you guys reconnect. But did you guys communicate with each other after that day immediately following? Yeah. Yeah, we actually kept in touch for a few years afterwards, um, right about until a little after the show actually went off the air. And, and um, you know, I went back to school and, and we went off to college and did all that stuff. So that was around the time that we just kind of started losing touch. So, so Brandon, let's start with you. Tell, tell us a little bit, obviously, um, you, you had health struggles. Take us through your childhood overall. What was it like for you? Well, I had my first open heart surgery when I was two years of age, um, but it really just seemed to affect my family. By the time I was five years of age, my parents separated. They actually separated on my fifth birthday, and my mom raised me as a single working mom. She worked in the prison system there in Louisiana, so I had a lot of nights that I spent home alone um, while my mom was working, so I used to watch a lot of television programs and kind of got a, a feel of what different families felt like just based on TV families. And I really liked the Seavers from Growing Pains. And that was part of why I wanted to meet Jeremy because I liked the family dynamics of the TV show so well. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's really interesting because that sort of brings me to you, Jeremy. Now you, you're on a hit show. It's about a family. Everyone knows and loves that family. What was, if you kind of juxtaposed your real life home situation with the show, what would, what would that look like? That's one of the very interesting kind of parallels in Brandon's and my life. And there's many that are illustrated in this book. Um, you know, while he came out looking to meet the character that had this life that he envisioned, I kind of, you know, dreamt of having that same family life. My parents had split up when I was two and a half. 
although I had a good relationship with my dad. He was very involved, um, you know, as involved as any 80s divorced parent could be. Um, you know, I had a stepfather who came into the picture around 11 years old, a little before the time I met Brandon, and things went downhill very quickly. Um, a lot of abuse and things like that. And, um, you know, I was I was kind of the Seavers were my other family. I mean, I was lucky to be a part of it and lucky to have them as, you know, kind of my real support system. Yeah. And it's and it's interesting when I look at your story. I don't want to I don't want to spoil too much of this because I really want people to grab copies of When I Wished Upon a Star to see how your stories come together and the interesting elements of of these stories. But Brandon, you are a pediatric cardiologist, which is fascinating to me in light of the issues that you had. What what role would you say that having that wish be fulfilled that day when you got to go to set? What role did that have in setting you on course to fulfill the goals that you had of becoming a cardiologist? Well, from the time I was a little kid, I always knew I wanted to be a pediatric cardiologist. But I failed first grade. I had actually gotten tested for special education in kindergarten. And after I repeated first grade, I started to do better in school. But from the time of my wish forward, I actually made all A's in school. Um, so I think the fact that I got to go meet Jeremy just kind of gave me hope for my future. If I could go meet my favorite TV stars, I could do anything as far as I would concern. So it just gave me a lot of hope that day. Um, I think one of the interesting things is when Jeremy and I reconnected about a, you know, a little more than a decade after my wish, um, it was right as I was finishing up medical school. And Jeremy was actually with me the day that I found out that my dream of um, working with my pediatric cardiologist um, was going to come true. There's a ceremony in med school called Match Day. It's when everyone finds out where they're going after med school for their next part of their training. And Jeremy would, happened to be with me um, on that day. They had been filming a reunion movie for the um, for Growing Pains in New Orleans right as I was finishing up medical school. So it was very fascinating to me that Jeremy was kind of with me when I started to do well in school, and he was also kind of brought back into my life about the time that um, I would see my wish of working with my childhood doctors come to fruition. It's so interesting, and and you see stories, just like th this one event, you know, fulfilling a kid's wish, what that could actually do, right, in terms of building self-esteem, like just hearing your story, I think, it's, I think that that's fascinating. And then Jeremy, now, so tell us a little bit, I want to backtrack, and then I want to reconnect to when you guys had a chance to come back together um, after that 10-year period or so. But Jeremy, what was life like for you um, as Growing Pains was coming to an end and once the show ended? Um, I kind of went back to normal life for a little while when the show ended. I continued to audition. I did some couple TV movies, a few commercials, and, you know, still loved acting, but did feel that I had missed out on some of those, you know, just being a kid experiences and getting to have, you know, some free, some more freedom. And not that it wasn't worth the trade-off, believe me. And I understood that even back then. But I decided to take a break for a little while. Uh, around 18, when I went to college, um, I kind of stepped away from acting for a bit. And 
you know, that was probably a mistake. It's not an easy industry to get the door to open back up. And when you have that door open and things are kind of hot, it's good to take advantage of it. But it was the choice I made. And I really did enjoy getting away and kind of being out of the public eye for a little bit. I actually used to wear a shirt that said Ben is dead, uh, just as a joke. Um, but I, you know, I really didn't have any issues with the losing fame and all that stuff, but I did end up falling into addiction pretty soon afterwards. Although that had more to do with kind of running from past family pain and, and trauma experiences and things like that. When, and, and so with addiction, I mean, so many different factors come, come into that. How did it manifest itself in your life and how did it impact your life? Well, I, I've always kind of had a uh, predilection towards alcohol and um, it just kind of took hold. I think the real beginning of it being a regular thing was when I found that it helped with my social anxiety mm. and, you know, that liquid courage was quite helpful. So I began drinking more, especially in social settings, uh, to kind of calm my nerves. And that, you know, I have a long family history of alcoholism and everything else and an addictive personality to go with it. So it was probably just not a good combination all around. And I became a everyday drinker pretty quickly. Wow. And things began to spiral. So where were you in that journey when you guys reconnected? Like, how, what, what was your life like in terms of addiction, and where were you at then? I was right on the precipice of the downslide. Um, things were not unmanageable yet, but they were really getting close. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, my friends got a pretty close up view of that for the next few years, but I don't blame being in New Orleans for the filming, believe me, but we were there during Mardi Gras and for an alcoholic, that was a wonderful excuse to just right. kind of drink the entire time I was there. It doesn't help. So, exactly. Yeah. It makes it, it a lot easier. It, well, it's just, an, <laughs> I mean, please, the sun rose was a good enough excuse for me to drink. So I didn't really need much encouragement, but it was a great setting to kind of go wild. And I took advantage of it at every opportunity I could. So, so Brandon, how did you guys, how did you guys reconnect? Like, what, what did that look like? Because it's kind of, it's kind of crazy that you went, you lost touch and all that time went by. And then as you were saying, you're in school, there's filming going on there. Just take me through that. So back in 2000, as I was getting ready to graduate college, I was kind of the first wish kid for the Starlight Children's Foundation to go to medical school. And I posted on one of the Growing Pains fan boards my story and about how much a T-shirt that um, Jeremy's co-star Kirk Cameron had signed for me um, back on my wish that, you know, God bless you. Um, and Kirk talked to me that evening about how God had a plan for my life. So I posted just kind of that story on a Growing Pains fan board. And from that, um, Kirk Cameron and I actually got reconnected. And Kirk and I began to email back and forth. And my the summer between my first and second year of med school, I found out that I needed to have open heart surgery again. Um, and Kirk and I just continued to communicate. And um, the summer after that, just by serendipity, 
um, the son of the um, of his the son of the guy who manages Kirk's speaking career at the time ended up subletting an apartment next to me, and we became friends. And then a few years later, when I was interviewing for residency positions, I interviewed out at UCLA in Los Angeles, and I just emailed Kirk and said, hey, look, I'm going to be in the area. Can we meet up for coffee? And Kirk invited me out to his house to meet his wife and kids and have dinner with his parents. And that evening, um, we're sitting around at dinner, and Kirk's wife's Chelsea, she's like, Brandon, you live in New Orleans? Yeah, I live in New Orleans. Can you help us find a house was her next question. I'm like, why do you all need a house in New Orleans? And they told me that the whole cast of Growing Pains was coming to New Orleans to film a reunion movie. And that was about the time that my dad was sick with prostate cancer. My dad actually passed away a week before the whole cast um, came down to New Orleans. Um, and then Kirk invited me to set and introduced me to Jeremy. And to my surprise, Jeremy actually remembered me. Oh, wow. And then that, and that was sort of the point forward that you connected. How did you, so did you guys suddenly just, you know, connect again and the friendship just sparked from there and it, and it went forward? Well, it was like we had never lost time. Exactly. Um, you know, we kind of just started hanging out on the, so we took advantage of as much time as we could uh, to hang out and spend time together on the set. And while I was there in New Orleans and uh, yeah, it, it really was like, one of those friends that you haven't missed a beat with that's crazy and so and so you move forward from there um in what in what ways and i'll start with you jeremy would you say that this friendship and obviously you guys have written a book again the book is when i wished upon a star to tell this incredible story but in what ways would you say that the friendship changed your life uh, honestly, in so many ways, just having a a friend that is as dear to me as Brandon is, and I, it goes beyond friendship. I mean, he's truly family at this point. I mean, his mother's my mother. His mom is my mom is his mom. We are just very close. Um, our families are close. It's very special having that kind of support in your life at any time. But when I was at my darkest and my lowest, um, Brandon was very crucial in stepping up and vouching for me and um, getting me help. And what would you say, Brandon, for you that the friendship has meant and, and how has it changed you? I think for me, because I knew as a kid, I was searching for kind of a sense of a family. I think it's just a beautiful thing that, you know, Jeremy and I were able to reconnect and we became so close. And in, in a sense, you know, Jeremy has become part of my family. And I think that's just, you know, I, when I think about that, sometimes I actually tear up just the way everything played out. Well, it is crazy. You never know how God is going to use people in your life, right? Like there's people who pop in, you think it's going to be a two second thing. And, and then you have a relationship like what you guys have. Like technically you could have gone to set that day, said hi and bye, and that would have been it. Right. But but there was a different plan. Um, so what are you guys hoping that readers take away from when I wished upon a star? Um, well, you hit on it a little bit right there. Uh, part of it is I hope they take away just how God's always working in our lives, you know, always through the good, through the bad, even when we don't see it, especially when we don't see it, you know, and and the people 
and the things that God brings into our life at exactly the times we need them. That should really provide people with a lot of hope, and I hope that's what they can draw from it. Yeah, that's amazing. And people need that. People are looking for that hope right now. They really are. And what would you say, Brandon? I think one of the more most interesting aspects of the story to me is just like Jeremy showed up in one season of my life and showed up again in a later season of my life for a different purpose. That's actually happened time and time again in my life. And I actually um, detail those experiences in the book. Um, for example, one time I was doing rounds at the hospital with um, one of the physicians and he asked why I wanted to do pediatric cardiology. And I told him I had had surgery at that very hospital when I was a kid and lo and behold, we discovered that he had actually taken care of me in the ICU, which I thought was just really special to have yet another physician who had been a part of my journey as a patient who was also part of my medical training. So I think just for me, it's just sometimes God puts people in your life for a purpose, and then later in life, they reappear for a different purpose. Mm. Yeah, that's so, it's so powerful, and it's so true, and it makes you think differently about the people we interact with, because you never know, right? Uh, you never know what role that person is going to play. Uh, so thank you guys so much. I, I really appreciate it. Where can people grab copies of the book? They can get them um, from our website, whenIWishedUponAStar.com. Um, they can also get them from on online retailers like Amazon. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time today. I appreciate you having Thank us Thank you on. for having us. We'll be right back with more of the Pure Flix podcast. Did you know you can access thousands of entertaining and inspiring faith and family-friendly TV shows, movies, and original series? It's simple. Just log on to pureflix.com right now to start your free one-month trial. From kids' content to some of the most uplifting films, we've got your entire family covered. Sign up today. And we're back with more of the Pure Flix podcast. And we're back with more of the Pure Flix podcast. So this next interview is from our talk show, which you can watch on our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash pureflix. It's our show, Pure Talk, and I am honored to get a chance to host that show. We have on lots of actors and directors and authors and pastors, and it's just a really great sit-down interview exchange. And we had Dallas Jenkins. He is a filmmaker. He is at the forefront of the series, The Chosen. He directed that series. If you have not heard of The chosen. It's the first ever multi-season show that documents Jesus's life, right? And it's dramatized, and it's in a series form, and it's really, really an incredibly powerful series. You get a chance through biblical characters, the people in the Bible who really lived, to kind of see what they might have been like. What was their life like, and how did Jesus change them? And so we sat down with Dallas on Pure Talk. We wanted to share that interview here on the podcast as well, because it's a powerful exchange. You get a sense of how he put this series together, and really also, I think some powerful lessons about when life gets us down and we have failures, how amazing success can come out of that, and God could do anything, even with our biggest problems and struggles. And so with no further ado, let's hear what Dallas Jenkins has to tell us about The Chosen. So, The Chosen. Yes. The Chosen. Now, this is a series that is going to show us the Bible, I think, in a way that we, that we visually have not seen. 
Yeah, um, you know, Johnny Erickson Tata saw the special pilot episode that we did a couple years ago. I, I had made a short film for my church's Christmas Eve service about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds. It was just intended to be the, you know, for my Christmas. So it was just a church thing. It yeah, was... it was just a church thing. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more in a minute, but when she saw it, her, she, her words were, thank you for telling the old, old story in an impossibly fresh way. And that was one of the most meaningful compliments we've gotten for this, uh, for that episode and for this show in general, because I have grown up my whole life. I've seen all, you know, as a believer, I've seen all the Jesus movies and miniseries. There's never actually been a multiple season show about the life of Christ. And the beauty of a multi-season show is that you can really take the time to dig into the characters and dig into the backstories of these people who encountered Jesus. And so when we talk about how this is going to be unlike anything you've seen, we're not necessarily reinventing the wheel with the stories of the Gospels. We're not changing sure, the stories of the sure. Gospels, but we're filling in a lot of the gaps, a lot of the backstories, a lot of the historical and biblical context because we've got time to do that. And so in a lot of Jesus projects, you go kind of from miracle to miracle, Bible verse to Bible verse, and we're, gonna, we're doing that as well, and we're not changing anything, but we are getting into who these people were even before they encountered Christ, so that when you see Christ through their eyes, you can perhaps be changed in the same way that they were. And the other thing that I think that we're doing that's unique is, because we're taking this time, because we're exploring these characters, they talk like real people. So a lot of the Jesus projects I've seen growing up, I mean, I loved a lot of them, but like, right. they're very formal. A lot of them speak in yes. King James English exactly. along with the English accent. Um, we are doing something where, like, I remember I was, I was on the set shooting a scene where Simon Peter comes home to his wife and they have an argument. And there's another scene that we shoot where he comes home and they kiss. And I remember commenting to myself as we were doing it, I'm like, I've never seen... A, like he's a, a real person. A marriage, right. a marital kiss in a Jesus show before. In fact, then I realized, I've never seen a marriage in a Jesus right. show before. But we know Peter was married because we know that Jesus healed his mother-in-law. And so getting into those stories and getting into the minutiae of it and the humanity and the authenticity of it and taking the time to do that in a way that a multi-season show can do is what I think can set this apart. Well, and we know there's power in, in visual means, right? And being able to see something, right? This is how, I mean, Hollywood knows this. People know this. They, they have something they want to drive home. They drive it home, right? And that's, that's the power of it. And so being able to do that, and it's funny, as you're saying this, I'm thinking through, you know, I've tried to focus over the years, the last couple of years, like, what was Joseph thinking, you know, when he's told this news, right? Like, right. like what is going through his mind? I know I'd be thinking crazy things. Like, what, right. you know, we don't, we, we're not really taught to think of it that way. We're taught to kind of just hear the facts. So being able to see it and seeing the first, you know, piece that you did on the birth, it made me think of it totally differently. Like, oh, wow. Right. What were the shepherds thinking? What was it like for them? You right. Know? But, right, and leading and, yes, up until exactly. the and leading up until their encounter with Christ is what we haven't explored much in the past, and so you have to do it carefully because you want to be faithful not only to the scriptures themselves but to the intent of the scriptures. We're not trying to make some weird statement about sure. who Jesus might have actually been instead of who we think he right. is. Right. But like exactly. for the shepherds, for example, in that pilot episode that you saw, you know, we see the shepherds around the campfire that night and they're telling jokes to each other and they're resing each other. They're acting like human beings. That makes it more powerful when you actually see how their lives were altered. When you see someone's life altered, it's even more powerful if you saw what actually they were before they were right, altered. Right, the before. Right. The before. The before. That's actually, and you know, it's ironic. This is a decent segue into the devotional book that we also did, which goes even deeper into these stories. The first chapter is called Before. Oh, look at that. Yes, because the first entry in this devotional is called Before because it talks about who, for example, Mary Magdalene was before she she had seven demons cast out of her. 
you know, who Simon Peter was before he met Christ. We know his personality was very extreme. We know he was a very flamboyant guy in his emotions. We also know he was very intense, very passionate. So we know that he was like when he was, you know, following Jesus. We know what he was like after Jesus died. I mean, he was a, he was a passionate evangelist for Christ. What, where would that have, where would that passion have, what, what places could that passion have gone before he met Christ? You know, what was his marriage like? You know, and we can speak to that, not only with careful historical context, biblical context, but also human context. Like, I know what my marriage is like. Exactly. I know what I, I you know, some of these characters are like me or like my wife or like friends. We can make it because these guys were human beings and these right. women were human beings. We've fallen into the trap of yes. not thinking that way. Like these are real people who lived and experienced and went through things. They didn't just have this perfect existence where they just you know sailed off in the sunset. They went through hard things. And the things described to us in the Bible are tough things to either hear right. or experience or go through, right? And we know that for many of them, their lives did not end in a very, you know, right. <laughs> enjoyable way. So it's just the real life stories of yeah. people. And so seeing how you did that, I can't wait to see the series. Yeah. Well, we've heard the phrase, I'd never thought of it that way before. Yeah. Thousands of times about the pilot episode and then early test screenings. I mean, I, I, there was a woman who saw an early test screening of episode one and she said, she was in her 60s. She says, I mean, I've been a believer my whole life. I've never realized how oppressed the Jewish people were at that time living under Roman occupation. And she's like, I just never connected how sad they were and how desperate. Oh, sorry. Live, live TV here. And no. this is The Chosen, yeah. 40 Days with Jesus. Yeah, 40 That's Days with Jesus. Yes. Where can people grab copies of that? Yeah, so this is available almost anywhere. You know, Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Sam's Club and whatnot. But um, it, if you go to thechosendevotional.com, thechosendevotional.com, you can actually buy this devotional. Or if you've already bought it, you can show that you bought it. And then you get actually early access to episode one. But the point that I was making was this devotional and the show go into the context of what these people were actually experiencing and how desperate they were for the Messiah. So that when Jesus showed up, some of them were actually so eager they just flipped out. Right. Some of them were so desperate they did anything they could to just touch him. And then of course there were some who were very You're not upset a military about it. ruler. Like why are you not? Yeah, you know? Why are you not what we expected? <laughs> yeah, and exactly. why are you not backing us up here? We're the religious leaders. We have all these rules that you actually established, Mr. Son of God. You know, God established these rules and now you're bucking some of the system. And he's like, no, no, no. The rules are great. The regulations are great. All that the God set up is great. But how you do it, where your heart is, is what matters. And you need me more than you think you do. And that's what those people were realizing at that time. But this woman who said, I've never just thought of it that way. I've never thought of the oppression and what they were going through. That's what we're trying to do with the show and with this devotional is take people to a place contextually that makes the encounters with Christ even more more powerful. And that's what makes it powerful when you think of something differently in a way that you hadn't before. Yes. It makes you really focus on it. And that's what I found myself doing with the first you know, piece that you did. Right. Now, for you going into this on the other side of it, putting it together, working on the script, directing it, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. How did it change you, if in any way? That's a great question, and it changed me quite a bit. This show was born out of one of my biggest career failures. Um, I mean, you know, we're sitting here in front of PureFlix.com, uh, PureFlix.com, and I've known the guys at PureFlix for you know, decades, and we've all experienced, together and apart, successes and failures in this business. For every God's Not Dead, there's another movie that was supposed to be as big as that and, and failed, and my movie was one of those. So the Resurrection of Gavin Stone, which I'm very proud of, but it which failed. is a great movie. Yeah, well, thank actually. you. But it failed at the box office, and I went from within a couple hours, I went from being a director who had multiple movies lined up with some of the biggest producers in Hollywood to someone who had no future that I could identify. And out of that came 
that short film that you talked about, about the birth of Christ that I was just doing for my church. And that led to this idea for the show. But what happened was, after the failure of uh, the resurrection of Gavin Stone, um, God spoke to my wife and I very clearly, and then through a friend of ours who just came to us and confirmed what we'd been hearing from the Lord, he said, your job is not to feed the 5,000, it's only to provide the loaves and fish. So that mindset of not trying to force everything, not trying to think of the end result before I just do what's in front of me, not only led to a spiritual change in my own life. I'm someone who likes to control things. I'm a doer. I'm a, I'm, I try to be an achiever. I've decided to let that go, but it's also what made me open-minded to doing something as crazy as The Chosen be, be, being crowdfunded. So when the guys at VidAngel came to me and said, we want to do this show with you, I was excited. They said, we think we can raise the money through crowdfunding. I was depressed. I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. The all-time crowdfunding record has 5.7 million. And we need more and than that to do season one. What are you at right now? Let's. Or what did you end up? So we're right at? now we're over 10 million dollars. You're nearing over, 11. Yeah, from nearing. over 15,000 people around the world. 15,930. So, yes, I believe, yes. Is one of the most. <laughs> yes, but who's counting? But that that process came because I was willing to just surrender myself to say. It's not my job to feed the 5,000. So you broke a record. You broke a record on yes. something you thought was not going to be possible at all. Yes. Not only did you raise more than you more than you thought, you broke the record. And what, yeah. is, what is it like not to feel like, oh, wow, I did this, but to feel like, wow, I stopped controlling every piece of it. Not that you were doing that, but this right. is no, how I am, too. Like, no, I try to true. control things. I was doing that. I stepped back, and I let God do it, and this happened. What does it feel like to recognize that? Well, it's again, it's life-altering. I mean, I, I really, truly, this project, the last year was the most rewarding of my life because on one hand, we raised $10 million from over 15,000 people, and I got to make the first four episodes of my dream project. We got to write this book, the, the, the devotional. I mean, it's all been great. However, it was also by far the hardest year of my life, uh, financially, health-wise, uh, our family, what we went through, leaving my previous job and being left without knowing what the future held and doing the show, every single day was a challenge. Every single day, we were hands outstretched, hoping for the manna that God would provide on a daily basis because he was never giving us anything more than that day's allotment. And so uh, it's been life-altering in the sense of it's been the hardest, but also the most joyous. And so that, I think, is being reflected in the show as well. I think people, can when they see the early cuts that we've shown, seen the premiere episode, all that, they sense something that I believe we sensed while we were making it, which is there's the, the, the spirits involved in this. The Holy Spirit's here. This is there's something different about this. And I'm saying, yeah, and it wasn't me. You know, I, I'm, you know, in some ways I'm a better filmmaker than I was two years ago. I hope, hopefully I'm better every year. But this is way better than I could do on my own. What, outside of those challenges, what was the hardest part or hardest piece of Scripture to tackle in this way? You know, bringing it, into a real-life visual experience? Which part did you, you know, struggle with the most? What's, what's interesting is capturing an actual story from Scripture is, is not as challenging as you might think because you, it's pretty easy, easy to visualize. You just, and if you do your research, you find out what the boats must have been like or what the, the setting must have been like. So the biggest story that we tackle in the first three episodes that people recognize is the, the, uh, the miracle of the catch of fish when Jesus... Uh, essentially calls Peter to be his disciple after he, he allows him to catch these you know hundreds of fish. So the shooting of that was hard just because it's challenging and it's physically challenging, but making sure that we get this stuff right, when, when we decided to dig deeper into these characters and to show some things that maybe aren't in Scripture, now we can, we can make very intelligent and researched and informed 
opinions about what they must have been like, who they must have been at home. But when you're doing that, you have to be careful. I mean, you're talking about uh, people that, that, that were chosen to be heroes of the faith. And you're now saying, here's what they were like before they met Jesus. Here's what they were like at home. They were sinners just like you and me. We've experienced many times, especially the character of Mary Magdalene. It's very interesting. It's what helped me realize God was involved in this show. Was He was like, there were several times we wrote something and then the feedback we got was universal about it. We were like, God's not going to let us get away with doing something wrong on this. Like, He cares very deeply about these people. And I went to Israel last year and I walked where some of these people walked and it was God impressed on my heart very powerfully. Like, get these people right. Like, I'm entrusting you with these stories and with these people. And not everything was chosen for Scripture. Like, we don't need to see necessarily Peter at home in the scriptural Arguing accounts. over who's going to yes. do the dishes. We don't, right. Yeah, we don't right. need to see it. But I'm, gonna, I'm showing that in the show right. because we believe it helps enhance the experience of these stories. And understand that they're people. Right. Again, but it goes we back need to that. get that right. And that's the challenge is finding, finding how to connect these dots that were laid out for us in scripture. If you could really instill one thing in viewers after, what is, what is that hope? What do you want them to think, feel, walk away with? Yeah. Well, here's the interesting thing. Everyone's different. Um, so there's Nicodemus, who's, who was a religious leader. And there are people who watch the show who are religious leaders or pastors or people who've been practicing, you know, pious, faithful believers their whole life. There's people who identify with Andrew, someone who's more sensible. He's Simon Peter's kind of sensible brother. He was a follower of John the Baptist long before it was cool. He was, as soon as he saw Jesus, he was instantly like, I'm yours, I'm in. Simon was much more reckless. You know, my wife can identify with Simon. Uh, she's not afraid of saying. Um, uh, so everyone identifies with someone different. And so what I want viewers to take away from it is that we're putting, we're, we're allowing the viewer to, to encounter Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him. And I believe that if you see Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him, you can be changed in the same way that they were. And so that's what I want is for each viewer to have their own individual experience of, I can be, for example, in the, in the, in the pilot episode that you saw about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds, I mean, I've had people who've told me they were weeping because encountering Jesus through the eyes of this lowly shepherd truly allowed them to experience it in a new and profound way. And I think that's what I'm hoping for people to, to experience is, like, I've seen Jesus projects through the eyes of Jesus, where he's been the main character and he goes from right. miracle to miracle, but I can't identify with the main character of those shows because he's the sinless son of God. Jesus, right? right. Yeah, exactly. And so, but, but, oh, that miracle that he just performed in that woman, like, what if we got to know that woman and there's someone who's watching who's like, that was me. That, I, you know, I was, I'm desperate to, to touch Christ. I'm desperate to be healed. I'm desperate to, to find connection with him. And I can identify with that person and then experience what they experienced when they met Jesus. So what is the release plan on this? People being able to see it? Where can people go? You mentioned right now that there's an ability to see the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. So take us through that. So I'll start with this, with the book. So the chosen devotional 40 Days with Jesus. Again, it's, it's, it's similar to the show. It goes deeper into these stories. It's kind of a companion piece to the show, but also can act on its own because it just takes you deeper into these backstories of these characters. But right now, if you buy the, if you buy the book and go to the website, thechosendevotional.com, you can actually get access to watch episode one before it's even out. But they're all at thechosen.tv. That's, that, that's the website, www.thechosen.tv. And uh, you can have access to not only watch the episodes uh, before they're out publicly on Vid Angel in the fall, but then by doing so, you're also financing and backing future seasons.
That brings us to the end of the Pure Flix podcast today. There is so much to think about. I love inspiring stories. I think just walking away from this episode, thinking about the friendships, and not even just the friendships, but the people who come into our life. When I think back to Brandon and Jeremy's story, you know, we never know why God brings people into our life. We never know what lessons we're going to learn, how long those people are going to be around. But I think it really forces us, their story, to think a little deeper about our relationships with the people around us and just praying for other people and looking for ways we can be there for the people who come into our path, and also looking at the ways that the people who come into our path are there for us. Also, looking at Dallas's story, having his biggest professional failure spark The Chosen, a really fascinating series um, that's worth checking out. And if you're looking for other inspiring content, we have got thousands of documentaries, original shows, movies, so much more over on pureflix.com. You get your first month free, so check it out. Out. It's a great, great service. There's so much on there to watch, view, and enjoy. Pop some popcorn, hop on the couch this weekend, and watch some films with your family. If you're looking for daily inspiring content, also, you can go over to the PureFlix Insider blog. It's insider.pureflix.com. And also over on our Facebook page, there's a lot of great video content going on. Facebook.com backslash PureFlix. Thanks so much for tuning in. Tune in next week for another episode of the PureFlix podcast. That's all for today's podcast. You can follow Pure Flix on Facebook at facebook.com slash pureflix and on Twitter at pureflix. And be sure to log on today to pureflix.com for your free month of access to thousands of faith and family friendly movies and TV shows. Thanks for listening to the Pure Flix podcast.